Thanks, Ben. Thanks, worship team. How's everybody doing this morning? You guys doing all right? Do you guys, uh, anybody need a Bible or anything? You guys got those? Got some Bibles in the back, if that's possible. I don't know how you guys do it here, but uh, we'll be in Revelation chapter 2 today in the church of Ephesus. Yeah, Tyler says, pick up your, put it on your phone. Um, Real quick, I, you know, I, I've got married. I'll talk a little bit about that. I've got three boys, nine, almost seven, and uh, two and a half, so it's a full. I'm just happy I'm here. I'm just happy I'm, I'm alive. I made it through the pandemic with them, and I'm here, so that's a blessing. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy I'm not with them right now. I'm happy I get to just be here and do what I want to do. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, that's a little bit about us. And then I've got a couple of slides just to let you know, you know, here at Grace Marietta, we are part of a family of churches, and um, I was on one of the church staffs for a long time, and now I'm working with the family team, and so just trying to share a little bit about, we've got a couple of graphics just to let you guys know if you're not super familiar, there's a bunch of Grace churches in the Atlanta area, so there's six other ones outside of Marietta, and then there's one in Washington, D.C., and then we've just got some new ones that just joined the family and so this is just a growing family of churches. We talk about our overall mission as cultivating a movement of healthy churches. And um, Ben is so strong in this, but we've really been talking about this as pastors. We don't want just churches. We want healthy churches. Uh, but we don't want to just be satisfied with, yeah, we got some churches. We, churches are supposed to multiply. And so at the very heart of the vision is that we would be raising up next generation leaders. We would plant new churches and we would see these Jesus movements happen in the Muslim world. Those are like the three things we work together as a family. But the whole idea is that all these churches are connected, and, and who knows how big we can grow this. God can just multiply these churches. And so that's our vision, to keep seeing healthy multiplication happen. You know, this started out of one church. I've been a part of Grace for about 20 years. Started out of one church, and now there's churches all over the place. And the people at the churches don't even know how many churches there are. And so... When you look at the book of Revelation, you have these seven churches that are individual local churches, but they're all connected. And so that's why they're getting this letter. And it's really similar to how we operate as a family of churches. If you go to the next slide, we say something we share is roots, relationships, and resources. And this is kind of what's unique about who we are as a family of churches. We do have deep roots. A lot of us have known each other for years and years. There's just years of relationship. There's deep roots in the scripture in the tradition of what has the church always been for the last 2,000 years. Um, but we also really wanna focus on relationships. I mean, it really is all about relationships. And so the pastors meet every month, the executive pastors meet every month. We do these things like the summer series together. We wanna just be in relationship together, walking with each other and helping each other. Um, the ministries are serving the ministries across the family of churches. So it's a really beautiful way that we can just walk together in this and then finally, we share resources, um, which means that we share what we're teaching and what we're learning, but we also share financially so that we can see multiplication happen in an easier way. Uh, we have residents across all the Grace Family Churches, so it's easier to do one program together and raise up next generation leaders together. There's some great residents that have been here at Marietta and, and some new ones that are coming that have just been a phenomenal um, asset to the whole family of churches. Um, we get to do church planning together. We get to pool our resources and see more that happens. So if you go to the next slide, this shares a little bit about just specifically even how we fund our movement. Um, when um, our founder, 
Buddy Hoffman passed away. There was a million dollars from a key man life insurance policy that was put in as a seed money into the Grace Family Churches. And just off the interest of that, we've been able to fund hundreds of thousands of dollars of ministry just over the last few years. So that was like the seed gift that got the family pot going. Uh, but then all the churches in 2017 agreed to give 5% of their local tithes and offerings. So Grace Marietta and a lot of these other church plants have been funded by the other churches, but then all the churches start to give 5% back. So it's like the, the strong churches in the family were able to fund the newer churches, but now as the churches grow in strength and they're able to pour back 5% of the local tithes and offerings into that family pot to allow us to keep to do, to do more and to support new churches and new disciples being raised up. So each of the churches gives 5% locally, even if they receive um, support as a church plant. And then finally, we have a yearly uh, giving moment, a yearly uh, family kind of offering, which is Pentecost. So if you weren't at Pentecost a couple weeks ago, we just had that. And, and Ben's been a big part of this, but we just welcomed two new churches into the Grace family and one new organization doing awesome work in the Muslim world. So we've got, grown from seven churches last year to now 11. Grace Lanier, Westside Church in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, local church in uh, Franklin, Tennessee, and Engaging Worlds in Texas. So the, the, God is growing this, this movement. So if you wanna be a part of that, if you weren't at Pentecost and you wanna give towards that goal, we're, we're trying to raise $150,000 this year towards uh, the shared vision of the family. We're about halfway there. We're at about 80,000 right now, but we'd love. I got the permissions of the pastors. I'm allowed to invite the churches to give to that Pentecost goal every year. So um, you can see the whole service and learn about these new churches in the family at our website, gfc.tv. So um, just wanted to share a little bit about that. I get a lot of questions. I know people are like, how does this work together? What is the Grace Family? So just wanna share. And I wanna honor a couple people in the morning, this morning as well. Um, Jody Hoffman's here, who Buddy and Jody founded the Grace Family Church. Jody, would you just raise your hand? Jody's here. Her and Buddy jump-started most of these churches. So they were here at Grace Marietta years ago, just getting this congregation started. I know you're just overjoyed this morning, Jody, just seeing this room filled. And then we've got Danny Spinks, Danny and Leanne, where are you guys? Danny's on the family board and has served um, for years. So just pouring into the vision of the family. So... Just, just means a whole lot. I mean, as we open up Revelation chapter two, we're reading about real churches with real people in them working hard for the kingdom. And so it's the same stuff that we're doing today. These churches were here doing their best and they were all connected and that's the same work that we're into. So we're about to read something that was written to a specific church in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, but I think there's something in each of these letters, um, but especially in this letter, because I'm preaching it this morning, and I really believe it, but I think there's a message from this to this church that speaks to our church today into this exact context. And something to know about each of these churches, and I'll give you a little background of Ephesus, they each, it talks about they each had this, the, the churches uh, has a lampstand so that that represents the, the ministry of the church, but then each church had this messenger or this angel, and we don't quite know what that means, but it seems like each church had a message to carry or display to their local community. And they're all different, and they each have a message of what they're bringing to their community. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm giving you these affirmations and these encouragements, but I'm also giving you these corrections 
not to shame you, but to sharpen your message, to make sure you hold out your message. If you don't stick to your message that you're called to carry to your community, then your lampstand, it's like it's being removed or taken away. You lose that sense of light. You lose that sense of speaking your message. And so the corrections in here are not to condemn or to like make us feel bad. They're to bring us back and lift us up, to let that lampstand, to let that message that we have speak forth in, in a loud way and in a clear way. And I think it's important as we get into this because I know the message of this church and I think God's just getting started in seeing this message of awakening kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. I think that mission has just gotten started. That message has just gotten started in this community. And so we wanna listen, we wanna hear. Each of these letters ends with this phrase, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The word revelation means to uncover or to unveil. It's like unwrapping a birthday present or pulling back what's been hidden to reveal what's truly there. And so Jesus is saying throughout these letters, I know you're hearing me, but you can have a conversation with someone. You can hear what someone's saying and not actually hear them. You can listen to someone and hear the words coming out of their mouth, but not actually hear what they're saying. And so Jesus is saying in all these letters, uncover your ears, really lean in and say, I wanna know what you're saying. What are you speaking to us as a church? We, we actually wanna know it. We don't wanna just go through the motions this morning. We wanna hear, we wanna uncover our ears. We wanna unclog ears and say, God, what are you really saying to us? So that's an important posture of the whole book of Revelation. And so a little bit about Ephesus, just so we understand maybe the context of this message that Jesus is bringing. It was a important uh, port city in Asia Minor, so it's like a flagship city, even in, in these seven cities in Revelation. Um, it's a port city, so there's a lot of commerce, there's a lot of trade. It was a thriving cosmopolitan center of trade, religion, and even recreation. So there's, there's a bunch of public buildings there. There was probably about 250,000 people that lived there, but a lot of people were coming through there. So again, you got merchants coming through there, trading in the marketplace. You have this great theater there, a theater that's, that sat 25,000 people, I mean, it's huge, think about that. Ephesus is an interesting city. It's an abandoned city. So over time, the, the, the um, port, the seaside moved back, and so it wasn't, eventually it wasn't a port city anymore, and so we have the whole city intact. You can go there today and see all these things and really get a sense of what it was like. So the great theater is still there. There's this temple of Artemis there, it's one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, and so you had people coming in there all the time. It's a busy city. You have a bunch of gladiator graves there, so there's this sense of recreation um, where people are coming just to take, take part in like sporting events, and so it's busy. They're doing a lot of stuff. There's a lot of ways to be involved. There's a lot of ways to be engaged, and there's this church right in the middle of all that busyness, and Jesus has a message for that church to be a unique witness in that place. And the good news is, Ephesus, we know from church history, would go on to be one of the most important churches for the next like three or 400 years of church history. I mean, they were a massively influential church. So this little small church is hearing this encouragement from Jesus, and it seems like they actually take it to heart. 
and they live it out in this beautiful way. So I think that's encouraging for us as we engage with this word this morning um, in a sense of hope of what God can do, even out of a place here, Grace Marietta. What could God do if we take these words in and, and commit to live them out? So, so let, me, let me just go ahead and read this to us. There's a lot we could focus on here, but there's one, um, one verse that's really just stood out to me over the last few months, and I want to focus there, but we'll read the whole letter first. Revelation 2, it says, to the angel or the messenger of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, Jesus says, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered, and you have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. So those are the encouragements to this church in Ephesus. Verse four, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had Some translations say you have abandoned the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And just a quick note on that. That almost seems harsh, like a threat, which doesn't tend to work out in interpersonal relationships and marriages and that sort of thing. But it's almost like Jesus is saying, if you don't repent, if you don't listen to what I'm saying, it's not even so much I'm removing it. Your lampstand's just gonna go away. You're gonna lose your witness. You're gonna lose that light and that message that you're meant to carry. So he's saying, really listen to this. This is a big deal. He goes on, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so there's a lot we could focus on here. There's the perseverance that this church has displayed. There's the theological, uh, like, astuteness that they've displayed. It's mentioned twice here. So the apostles would have been traveling around teaching these new churches, but there are also other people traveling around teaching. And so there was a discernment on which teaching are we going to follow? What is actually true? And another letter goes all into the Nicolaitans, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but there was these kind of factions that were popping up, and so Jesus is saying, you've been discerning. You have stuck to the truth. You've persevered. You've probably suffered for my name. You have claimed me. You're not backing down. You haven't compromised. Some of the other letters say the opposite. They get called out for compromising, but this letter says you haven't compromised, but here's my question. You're working hard for me. You're doing all this stuff to prove your devotion to me, but do you still love me? Is your heart still in this relationship? Why are you doing all the things you're doing? Jesus is saying, I appreciate everything you're doing for me, but is your heart still in it? How's your heart? Where is your heart at 
in your relationship with me. And I'll tell you, when I read this passage, and just to be vulnerable with you, I can't read this. This isn't just Bible words on a page. Okay, how is this impacting our real life right now? When I read this, over the last three months as I read this, the thing that came so strong to me was um, my relationship with my wife. And I've been married for almost 14 years. This will be 14 years this fall. And I had a moment in, I think it was 2015, it was about seven years into our relationship. I remember when we first got married, I was so excited, we are so in love, feeling the feelings, but also feeling the devotion. I mean, true love, let's go. I, you know, it was like, if you remember Titanic, when he's, Leonardo DiCaprio's on like the, the front of that ship and he's hanging off, he's like, I'm the king of the world. Anybody seen that recently? Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I'm the king of the world. I mean, that's how I felt. I mean, I'm like, let's go, baby. You know, I get Kate Winslet up there. I'm holding her. We're the king of the world. You know, here we go. We're going to take over the world. We're going to have ministry. We're going to see God do stuff. We've had so much zeal, so much passion. And I didn't realize this. I didn't intentionally do it, but it was almost like, all right, I got married. I, you know, I pursued my wife, and now we're married. Check. You know, move on to the next thing. <laughs> got that one. Let's build career. Let's build ministry. Let's see God do stuff. And again, never that it wasn't not a priority, it had just easily kind of slipped from being the priority to like a priority and a good thing. I remember about seven years in, I was on this ministry trip, we were, we were overseas doing some stuff, um, and we were in a lot of worship environments. And I remember being among the music and being in these places of worship, I, re- I just had a revelation. It was a pulling back uncovering, and God just showed me, you have lost Margaret's heart. You do not have your wife's heart. And, oh, it, I mean, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I just felt it. And then I, I started missing my kids. I had two boys at the time. I missed, started missing my, the trip had just started, and I started missing them more than ever had before. And I was like, I just want to get home because God's convicting my heart. It wasn't like I was doing bad stuff. It wasn't like, quit this addiction. Stop doing that overtly bad thing. Just like in this letter, I see all the hard work. I see all the perseverance. I see all the good stuff. But this, this is not prioritized the way it needs to be. And I, I got so convicted, and God really ministered to my heart that whole week. I'm writing all this stuff in my journal, so I go home. And I remember I'm sitting, I'm sitting in bed about to share all this with my wife, and I'm thinking, I'm gonna share this with her, and she's gonna be like, oh my gosh, I love you so much. Like, thank you for just having this heart revival, and we are gonna just have this, you know, passionate reunion. I mean, I had, I had so many visions of where this could go, and, uh, and it was almost the opposite. When I shared it, it, it almost confirmed the pain that my wife had felt like, yeah, I've known this has hasn't been your priority. I've felt second. I don't feel like we've been partnered in this. And so it actually created more distance initially. I shared this and she was like, yeah, this confirms the pain I felt. And it almost took her to a a more painful place. And I was like, oh man, this is not the response I was thinking of. (laughs) And then we ended up going, it was about a year journey from that point about a year of just building back 
that primary connection at the heart level between us. And she's like, I'm hearing the words you're saying, and these are great words, but like, I need to see. Do the things you did at first, just like the letter says. Do the things you did. Show me with your life that this is where your heart is. And so I share that with you because this was, this was a rewiring that God had to do in my heart. I started ministry in life living from the heart, and I realized I have just moved on to like, I wanna see success, I wanna see fruit, and I'm not attending to the matters of the heart. God had to rewire my heart. Uh, I wasn't even connected to my heart. I, I don't know what kind of journey you need to go on. I might, I'm gonna share this message with you this morning. You might be like, I don't even know what's going on in my heart. Do I even have a heart? You might need to create some time and some space just to get back in touch with your heart. Um, I, I read this book as part of this journey called Margin. I don't know how I got turned on to it, but I remember just seeing the title and feeling convicted. I was like, Margin? What's that? <laughs> like, you just do as much as you can until you die and you go to heaven. Like, that, that's what God wants us to do, right? Mar like, I felt so guilty to have margin. But you can't be in touch with your heart without margin. I, I don't know what's going on in the heart of God unless I spend some unforced, not spending time with him to do something out of it, time. Um, I can't get in touch with my own heart unless there's margin to go, God, what's going on in here? Spending some time journaling. I, I got a document that one of my mentors encouraged me to do. It's password protected. No one can get in that document but me and Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that has been an unbelievable, healthy part of my spiritual life to just go, I don't even know what's going on in my heart right now, but it's not good, so I just need to write. Or something really sweet's happening here, and I wanna give expression to it and to have a free place to do it. You need margin to get in touch with their heart. If you wanna be in touch with the hearts of other people, like, I can hear what my kids are saying and not have any clue what's going on inside of them. I can be listening to them and not really listening to them. If I wanna have a relationship with my kids, I gotta have margin in my life to go, what's going on in your life? And so I can tell you just over the last seven years, I, I mean, I'm a different person than I was then. Um, and, and, and God has invited me into this deeper journey. You're still fruitful, but initially you don't get as much done if you're gonna attend to the matters of the heart. And so I wanna go through just three quick things. If we wanna love him well, the letter says, I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. So I wanna ask this question, how do we love him well? How do we do that? How do we love him well? And I'm just gonna give you three simple things. The first one is the, the, the biggest one, and it's to guard your heart. Guard your heart. The heart is central. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Some translations say it is the wellspring of your life. If we wanna love God well and love other people well as a result, it starts with guarding our heart. 
if your heart is in a good place with God, the fruit of your life is good. If your heart is in a bad place with God or it's disconnected from God, you cannot produce good fruit in your life. It's as simple as that. This is how Jesus taught this. He says, the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Everything you say comes out of what's going on in your heart. And I think it's bigger than that. It's not just about the words. I think he's saying the fruit of your life comes from the overflow of your heart. He says a good person brings good out of the good stored up in them. An evil person brings evil out of the evil stored up in them. Another place he says is a bad tree can't produce good fruit. It just can't. A good tree can't help but produce good fruit. It just produces what's in it. So it all starts in the heart. It all flows from the heart. How do we love him well? We gotta guard our heart. We gotta connect our heart with him. The heart is central to who we are and what we do. I love this translation of Proverbs 4.23. It's the Passion Translation. It says, so above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Think about that for a minute. The affections of my heart, what my heart is dwelling on, what my heart is finding security in, what my heart is, is feeding on, what I'm cultivating at the heart level affects all that I am. So then it goes on, it says, pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being for from there flows the wellspring of life. Uh, Dallas Willard has, has been a hero to a lot of us, a writer, just on what is discipleship? How do you walk deeply with God? And all these letters the reason Jesus is speaking so pointedly is because he's saying, I want deeper relationship with you. The best relationships in our life have the highest standards. The people who speak the most honestly to you are the people who have the deepest relationship with you. So they're telling you the hard thing because they want to be connected to you and they want to go deeper. And so that's what these letters are about. Dallas Willard just walked deeply with God. And I've been so ministered to um, by his writings, he talks about the, the centrality of the heart. And he, here's how he says it, a heart rightly directed, a heart rightly directed brings health and wholeness to the entire personality. That is so powerful to me because there's a misnomer that if I really give my heart to God, if I really cultivate a deep relationship with God, then I'm gonna become some kind of robot. I'm just gonna be like everybody else. I'm just supposed to be some caricature of like a good person. What's the best version of Ben Hardman I can think about in my mind? And that's what I'm gonna pick up. But here's, what's, here's the reality. As, as I direct my heart towards God and I'm connected with him, he brings me to life, my personality more to life, however he's uniquely created me and you. So you're actually becoming more like yourself as you become more like God, not less. That's the beautiful thing. There's no copycats in the kingdom. That's another Eugene Peterson quote. As you walk with Jesus, you become fully alive to who you're created to be, not who the person next to you is. So he brings life and wholeness to my entire person, my entire personality as I'm walking with him. And guys, we know this. I mean, we understand this from experiencing life. You can walk with someone for two minutes. You can have a conversation with them for 15 seconds and know if their heart's in a good place or not. Because the overflow of that... I, I can't be around someone who's just got bitterness and jealousy and complaining, constantly critique. I mean, you get around that and you're like, man, I'm just eating the bad fruit that's coming out of your life. It's exhausting. 
But you get around someone whose heart is rightly directed, connected to God. It's, it's an overflow. You're going, oh, my gosh. I mean, I'll tell you, when I walked in here this morning, we were having the prayer time in this room 30 or 40 minutes before the gathering. It was just such a sweet presence in here. Just a bunch of people intentionally guarding the affections of their hearts, saying, God, I want to be connected to you. I want to pray for the people coming in the room today. What a beautiful thing. I mean, just that, just when your heart's in a good place, you want to just pray for people. You want to bless them. You want to lift them up. You want to help them. And so if we want to love them well, this is the first thing. We just, we have to guard our heart, the centrality of the heart. The last one I'll say on this, Jesus says, he's, he's getting asked. They're trying to test him at the mind level. What's the greatest command? He says, oh, that's easy. Love God with all of your heart. That's, easy. that's the first one. And the second is like it. It flows from it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I know we're called to do great things for other people in the world. I can't do that. We can't do that without our heart being connected to God. The, the last little story on this you know, if, if uh, you've ever remembered The Wizard of Oz, in the original book, the tin man was actually a person who was building a house for the munchkin maiden that he was in love with that he wanted to marry. And the, the, the wicked witch was jealous of the love, and she's like the, the enemy, you know, Satan character in the story, and so she starts attacking different parts of his body because she's, she's attacking the love that he has for the maiden, and so he keeps replacing these parts of his body with the tin, and he's initially excited because he gets these human parts replaced with tin parts, and he can work harder and faster, and he's like, now I'm going to build the house quicker for my maiden, and he's excited, but eventually... He gets attacked so much and he gets replaced so much that he's just a tin man and he's effective and he's producing a lot, but he says, I lost my heart and I didn't even care about building this house anymore for the maiden. He lost the whole point of why he was doing this. And then he gets stuck out there one day in the rain and he turns to rust. And I'll read you the last thing he says. He, he sat out there for a year before they came and found and he says, during the year, I stood there and had time to think that the greatest loss I had known was the loss of my heart. And he's out there. And he goes, I've lost the purpose that I was doing this for in the first place. So he wants to go to the, the wizard because he's like, I, just, I need a heart again. What's the point of all this if I don't have a heart? can build a million houses, but if I don't have a maiden. And I, I love that story because that's where I found myself. I'm out there working. I'm out there going. I'm doing good stuff for God. But I lost my heart for him and for my wife. The story that comes to mind is um, a few years ago, I, I was gone doing my 10-man work somewhere. And... Uh, <laughs> And my oldest son, Judah, that I'm used five or six, and he, um, he, was, he, he was building me this puzzle. Um, and he was getting really frustrated, and he was crying. I guess the puzzle was above his level. And my wife said, Jude, what's wrong? What's, what are you doing? And he, he was so frustrated. He says, I said, I'm 
building this puzzle for daddy. And he just couldn't do it. I didn't ask him to build the puzzle, but he just got in his mind, I have to do this thing to please my dad. And he couldn't do it. And he was so frustrated that he was just brought to tears and just collapsed, you know, building this puzzle for daddy. And I heard that story and it, it, I loved it. I was like, oh my gosh, I love the heart. But I didn't ask him to do that. And I thought about our relationship with God and I'm, I'm going, how many of us are slaving to build God a puzzle that he never asked for? Well, I started doing this thing for God and I did this thing out of an overflow for God and now I'm just slaving away. And then we actually get really bitter in it. We're, we're down there doing our puzzle and we can't do it. And we're like, I'm doing this thing for you, God. It's hard work, you know. It's above my level and we're down there. I could really get some help down here on this puzzle. And he's like, I, I never asked you to build me this puzzle. How many of us are slaving to build a puzzle God never asked for? And so when I thought about that, I thought, okay, you know, if Jude asked me, what would please you? What, what do you want me to do for you? I would say, Jude, just listen to me <laughs> and obey the few things I'm asking you to do. And then, you know what, just, just go and enjoy your life. Do whatever you want. Listen to me. Obey the few things I'm asking you to do, and then just enjoy your life, man. And I think that's so true. I mean, I look, I look back at Genesis in the garden. What did God ask us to do? He says, there's all these trees to enjoy. Eat all the fruit from the trees. Just don't eat from this one tree. And they didn't listen. And we often don't listen. So this is the second thing. How do we love God? Well, we guard our heart. Second is we just listen to his voice. And I know you've heard that before, but uncover your ears. Are you listening to his voice? Not a year ago, not that one time when you came to faith, not when you really loved Jesus 10 years ago. Now, this morning, are you listening to his voice? Psalm, I was listening, looking at this passage this morning. This happens over and over and over in the Bible. Psalm 81.10 says, this is God's heart for us. Open your mouth wide. I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. It's about the abundance of God. Open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. You don't have to look somewhere else. Come to me, listen to me. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people would not listen to me. But my people wouldn't listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn what? Their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. If my people would only listen to me, if they would follow my ways, how quickly I would subdue their and so there's a connection between listening to God and the suppleness, the softness of our heart. If I want to guard my heart, I'm listening to him. Jesus says in John, you know, 10, my sheep hear my voice. This is how they follow me. They listen to my voice. The voice is central. If you look in the revelation of, of Jesus in Revelation chapter one, there's all these characteristics about him. There's three metaphors just for his voice. It's the only thing in his appearance that there's three things saying, this one's really important. There's something about the voice of Jesus. It says his voice is like a trumpet, his voice is like a sword, and his voice is like rushing water. The sound of rushing water. Some translations say the sound of a waterfall. 
And when you look at something like that and you're like, okay, what does that mean? How do I follow the voice or listen to the voice of rushing waters? When you come to something in the Bible that you don't really understand, the best is to say, where was this used earlier in the Bible and can I go there for more context? So someone else uses the same phrase that John is using on the island of Patmos here when he has this revelation of Jesus and it's in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, it's interesting. He's in exile and he's having a revelation of Jesus really similar to John's and he describes it in the same way. It says in Ezekiel 43 too, his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. But then Ezekiel gives us more. He goes into verse 40 or chapter 47. It's like, okay, well, what does that mean? What's the water doing? What's the voice doing? He gives us this whole prophetic picture of water flowing from the temple. So from the very place of, of the presence of God in the temple, there's this trickle of water in Ezekiel 47 going from the temple. And then Ezekiel's led by this angel and this water grows into this river. It's this rushing river. And he says, as he goes, it goes from the ankles and it's going to the knees and it's going to the waist and it's going overhead. It's an invitation to go deeper. What's the voice of God doing in our lives? The voice of many rushing waters, it's always an invitation to go deeper. And so he's going deeper and deeper and deeper and then it comes to this point where the water's over his head. And now I never saw this before, but then it says, where's the water going? It says the water's going to the Arabah, which means the ditch. It's going to the great ditch. And then it empties out into the Dead Sea. So the water's going to the lowest, the Dead Sea's the lowest place on earth, 1,300 feet below sea level. So the water, it comes from the temple and then it turns into this river and then it basically turns into this waterfall and is dumping into the Dead Sea. It says everywhere the water goes, so what's his voice doing? It's bringing life. Everywhere his water flows, it brings life. It's even going into the dead place and it's making those dead places alive. They're teeming with fish. They're teeming with fruitfulness. They're teeming, it teems with healing. And so it's this invitation to go deeper and deeper into his voice. And here's what it's like, guys. This is, this is the hard part about it. He leads you deeper, and then it feels like he's calling you to go over a waterfall. <laughs> he calls you to take a new risk. He calls you to give something else up. He calls you to do something that feels way outside of your comfort zone. If you want to go deeper, you keep getting called into scarier places. It's easy to give everything when you got like $200 your name. It's easy to give all your stuff when you don't have a lot of stuff. Like, God, I'll do anything for you. I'll give you anything. I'll give you all my stuff I don't want anyways. <laughs> But as you grow and as you get more and have more on the line, your reputation grows, your influence grows, your stuff grows, it gets harder. And here's the question I feel like God's asking us. You're in the river of God. My voice is calling you deeper and deeper. It gets to a point where it's overflowing. You have to just put your hands up and let the river take you. That's the invitation of Ezekiel. And he goes, I can't do it. No one can swim in this river. You just have to surrender to it. So the question this morning is, are you gonna go over the falls with him again? Are you gonna follow his voice really to where it's leading? And it's always leading to the dead places. It's leading to the places that need ministry. It's leading to the places that need life. It's leading to the places where you're gonna be the ambassador. You're gonna be the conduit of that kingdom of God coming. God works through his people. He's not gonna do it without working through his people. And so who is still listening to his voice and saying, I'm gonna go over the falls? And here's the paradox. You're in the river of God, so you can't die. You can't die in the river of God. 
but you're going over the falls with him and you feel like you can't survive it. So what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? I think Jesus is going, how do you love me well? Guard your heart and listen to me. Listen to my voice. But then the third thing isn't just listen to my voice. I hear you, obey it. Go with me. Go over the falls with me. Take the risk again. Take the plunge again. Take the sacrifice again. I love the vision of this church, and this is what I feel like God was talking to me about this morning. Awakening kingdom dreams, helping each other awaken these kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. If God starts awakening kingdom dreams in this place, there's gonna be a lot of people following that river of God and and taking plunges over waterfalls. You're gonna take some risks and you're gonna fail. Is that okay? I think it's okay if we fail, if God's saying you you did. I'd rather fail and God said, I'm proud that you went for it and you tried to follow my voice and you tried to pursue that kingdom expression that I wanted to come out of you in a fresh way than if you didn't go for it. Who got in trouble in the parable of the talents? Not the one who went for it and invested it and tried something new, the one who buried it and said, well, I knew you're a hard man, which the passage doesn't even say that, so I just buried it. Guys, let Grace Marietta be a church that God says, well, I'll tell you what, they didn't bury the talent. I mean, they went for it. Because the kingdom dreams that are gonna come out of this place aren't, they're unique to you. They're not gonna be like somewhere else. And here's the bigger word. I think you guys could be a sign of saying this is what it looks like for your church to to make kingdom dreams come alive. Be a sign for other churches. Be a sign for other communities. Here's what we did. Here's how we followed him. Here's how we pursued his voice. Here's what happened. Here's how we failed. Be a learning lab. Be a learning center for all these other churches. God can do it. If you follow his voice, he can do it. The last thing, just how do we love him? Well, we just obey it. We obey it. He says in John 15, if you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love. So what's he talking to you about? What's he challenging you to do? Where's he calling you to go over the falls? Just obey him. Walk in that simple obedience. Walk in that simple obedience. Obeying his word, obeying his voice. If you guys would just go ahead and stand up with us, we're gonna enter into just this worship moment. And um, I wanna encourage you to renew your heart before God. We're gonna have communion here, but we're also gonna have a prayer team. If you're in a place this morning where you're like, I don't even know what's going on in my heart. Or maybe you're in a place this morning where you're like, my heart is burnt out. I can't minister right now. My heart is bitter. My heart, there's pain in my heart. That's okay, that's a good place to start, just saying there's, I'm connected with my heart, but it's not in a good place. I wanna encourage you to renew your heart this morning. We're gonna come and and receive communion, but there's also gonna be a prayer team. Maybe you just wanna ask someone to pray for you. You can ask them for something specific, but you can also just say, just pray for my heart. It's not, I want it to be in a better place. I want God to renew it. Is there something... um, standing in the way of your love for God. Maybe there's something that you just need to confess, repent of. God, this has been the thing. It's been about the money. It's been about the reputation. It's been about my success. It's been about what I want in my life. I feel it standing in the way of, of my love for you.
Let's just be honest about that. Maybe that's just the prayer of your heart this morning. Maybe Jesus is calling you to go over the falls in some area of your life and you know. So maybe you just commit this morning. Maybe you just ask someone to pray for you for courage. I know Ben and I are going after some things that I'm like, man, I hope God does it. <laughs> We're going over the falls. I mean, I hope he shows up, you know. Maybe you just want someone to pray for you. Just pray courage. Just pray encourage. I don't want to lose this steadfastness that I have. I know I'm doing the right thing, but I need encouragement in here. Just ask someone to pray for you. We'd love to pray for you down, down here. We're going to sing this simple song. As I was preparing for this weeks ago, this song came to my my mind, it's kind of a lame old song, but it's really powerful too, and I hope it ministers to your heart. I hope your heart is renewed this morning, because God wants to do so many things out of all of us, and I know out of this church, there's so many good things that can come out of the good if our heart is connected with him. So let's just renew our hearts this morning in worship, communions here, and then there's gonna be a prayer team if you want or your neighbor to pray for you. Let's just, let's just minister to one another with the moments we have here.